One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon's ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because work it ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down top. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Social distancing in the fur shed. This is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood. It is great to be here, and I'm glad that you are listening in as we are at the end of March. Uh, the end of the trapping season for many people. Uh, we still got a long ways to go for some of us. And we are in the middle of this coronavirus thing, so you may be spending a lot of time at home. And if you are, why don't you check out Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Cots Bros has a full line of trapping supplies, traps, and baits and lures, books and DVDs to get you going. So make an order and get ready for next trapping season or get ready for spring trapping. Also check out Fur Harvester's Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur, and where we have the very first eBay-style auction going on right now uh, for wild fur in North America. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I'll keep you updated, but Fur Harvester's is working hard to uh, get the best prices for fur in this down market. We're also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS unit. You can get landowner information. You can uh, use your phone as a GPS, mark your tracks, waypoints, your trap locations. Onyx Maps is an incredible resource, and if you're not using it on the trap line, you should be. Go to onyxmaps.com, and for 30 bucks a year, you can get a subscription for your state. And if you want a little discount, not that you need one, because it's an incredible deal for what you pay, uh, you can type in the promo code TRAP at onyxmaps.com and save 20% off and it also gives me at Trapping Today a little kickback and helps to support the show. So thanks uh, all our sponsors, Cotsbros for Harvesters and On X. Appreciate you guys as we keep moving forward here into the spring and summer seasons. All right. So in tonight's episode, I'm going to have uh, play an interview from uh, from kind of a, just a sit down that Jim Furman and I had in Alaska in the cabin on the Porcupine River out in the middle of the bush and it was the my last day uh, last night in the cabin uh, for the trip so uh, a little wrap up you know you've probably listened to the last several episodes where we've talked about this but the Alaska trip was probably the highlight of my trapping career pretty awesome experience I absolutely loved it 
Uh, it's always been a dream of mine to trap in Alaska, so it was great to get the opportunity to fulfill that and, and go forward. So so that was awesome. And in this episode, we talk, Jim and I talk a little bit about the cold weather that we dealt with uh, while I was there trapping. We, we went on a little tangent about marketing wild firm. If you got any ideas about that, uh, shoot me an email, jrodwood at gmail.com. J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Talked about the Alaska Wolf Trapping Manual. Talked about gear and equipment and trying to manage that at uh, in remote trap line areas. I went through a little bit of our experiences on the line the previous several days and kind of the last check that I did on the line. And some of the highs and lows on the trap line, the experiences that were better than I expected and the things that maybe left a little bit to be desired. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, just a little bit of insight into my trip to Alaska because I know a lot of guys have, have wanted to do this and you're not all, all going to get to do it. So I hope that this kind of has, has given you the opportunity to experience something that you otherwise might not have. And just for a little bit of update, um, after this episode was recorded and I went back to Maine, um, I talked to Jim uh, about a week and a half later. He had gotten back from the cabin and he'd run the line, all the traps that I had set up and him and I had set up together. And he, you know, we talked about the trapping had been pretty slow because the weather was so cold. Well, when I talked to him, he had run the traps it had warmed up a little bit and he picked up another dozen links in the sets and so never did catch that wolverine in the traps that i had set that i was hoping for but like jim said hey you got your whole life you'll catch a wolverine eventually so um that that's something that i'm going to continue to uh, work towards moving forward but it was pretty awesome to know that we caught a bunch of links in the traps that that we had set and, and uh so so that was good uh that wrapped up the season for him he pulled most i think he he got all the traps pulled by now, and uh, spring is coming everywhere. So let's look forward to that and uh, get into the episode. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Okay, it's it is my last night in the cabin, um, and uh, you'll you'll be back. The traps are still out and operating, um, but I checked them for the last time today, and um, yeah, wish we had a little more fur hanging up, fur to skin. But. Yeah. That's the way it goes. It's been cold. I mean, it's been was what forty eight below, forty six and forty eight below for two mornings. Um, it warmed up to thirty eight below this morning. Wasn't it more than two mornings? It was forty eight below. Yeah, it probably was. I have it written down. I've been keeping a journal, a daily journal here, just so I, I think remember. It was more like three. Well, it might have been low forties one morning. So Sunday was. 48 uh saturday was 45 below uh, let's see oh <laughs> i know what this day was this is the day i sat in the cabin all day and didn't do anything because i wrote about 10 pages <laughs> of stuff uh negative 50 on uh, friday yeah that was the day that that we stayed here and then thursday was negative 45 um so that's wednesday was negative 35 so yeah it was quite a stretch and i mean I, when I before I'd come here, I'd look for February what the average highs and lows were, and average low overnight was like negative twenty, and high was around zero. 
Uh, well, that's pretty good. But when I got here, we were above those numbers, and, and then we swung quite a ways below. I'm guessing, I'm hoping that kind of has something to do with the, the low fur catch last, <laughs> last week. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know they don't move around a lot when it's really cold, but it has been warming up a little during the day, so. Yeah, we did see, we, we had, when we set up last week, a lot of these, or a little over a week ago, I guess, we had, there was quite a bit of sign, and then the past eight, ten days, I've seen very little fresh sign. But they haven't been uh, very cooperative either, the links. Yeah, yeah. And some that have been cooperating were hijacked by Wolverine. But <laughs> they got to eat too, I guess. We'll get into that. So, um, boy, we got a lot. Of, we got a long list. We're we're gonna cover a lot of ground here. So the first one is you've got um, you've got your Andrew Stanleys, your Robert Bedines, and and a new one, new guy that I've learned about is Snook. <laughs> what can you tell us about Snook? Oh, he grew up in this area, and he grew up on the trap line. He's about my age or a little older. He's trapped all his life. Still trapping. So I get up in the morning, and we turn on the radio, and we're hoping that Snook will come on, because he's kind of an interesting guy. He volunteers on the radio station locally, and usually he mentions something about the trap line. He huh? talks quite a bit about hunting and trapping. No snook lately. We think he's out of town. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting to have a little bit of local flavor. Um, guys that still, you know, not most people don't trap anymore, but there's a few there's a few old timers around that still, even if they maybe don't get out a lot, they it's still kind of part of their their background. There's a few young guys that trap, but not that many. Yeah, so. You think those guys are, are, uh, why are they trapping? Mm. You think they're going to make money at it? Yeah, one guy, a couple of them have jobs and they just trap on the weekends. So, trying to make some extra money and they like getting out. And then, uh, yeah, one guy's a little younger than me. I think he just wants to get out. Just something to do so, um, we have a bunch of important issues here when one is is uh, health issues for an old trapper the list <laughs> what are you working on you, you get toward the end of the season and you get get to uh, get to go down the list on what you're gonna get fixed in the off season if I have time <laughs> well in the last few years I've had uh, shoulder surgeries and uh, before that I had a joint fixed in my left thumb and now my right thumb hurts <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now my ankle hurts it's an old injury coming back from 40 years ago so I better get it checked out yeah I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all the time every time I hear something like that I'm like man do I really want to wait till I'm 65 to retire and go trap <laughs> full time? <laughs> I might be feeling old at 50, but um, we've been listening to some NPR, so uh, lots of microaggressions and 
um, all kinds of um, issues, uh, politically correct stuff uh, that we've been sitting here waiting for the weather to warm up or getting done checking traps. But uh, one big headline here is Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, has pledged to spend $10 billion uh, to fight climate change um, over the next X number of years. And we're trying to figure out a way that we can um, tie this in with trapping. Yeah, we're fighting climate change all the time. I know Jim is the most... Uh, I, I, I think our carbon footprint has been quite negative here the past couple of weeks, um, other than once spending all the fuel to get out here. Uh, once we get out here, boy, everything is recycled. Um, even the, the critters and the carcasses are recycled and used <laughs> as bait and fed to the birds. And Sometimes I give them to guys in town for dog feed when I'm in town skinning and stuff. But. There's very little waste. Everything's kind of cycling through. Um, I think, the, you know, the trapping lifestyle, that's pretty good for the environment. So we got to figure out a way. If anybody has any ideas, um, maybe we could tie this into using fur. Uh, you know, using using fur as a renewable resource uh, will reduce the need to use uh, all of these polyester clothing and different types of clothes that are made out of petroleum products, and that would tie in nicely with the the uh, whole climate change um, goals. and And with ten billion dollars out there that he's kind of waving in front of us right now man i want to i'm going to see if we can get some grant applications in yeah half a million would be all i'd want <laughs> just do a little let's use just a little seed money for a research project on this stuff yeah um, no in all seriousness though about uh, sometime last night we had a discussion for a while about this and i don't know i don't know if we can ever solve this and i've had several guys that listen to the podcast and gals uh, email about this and, and try to figure out how we can sort of resurrect the fur market um, and I don't I don't know how it's going to happen and I don't know if it's it's probably beyond our control but I'm always thinking of what we can do so I don't know me and Jim talked a little bit about wearing fur items and encouraging other people who are not trappers to, to wear fur you had some people that that you ran into that um, that had some fur stuff made up or going to. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I I never discourage anybody from wearing a fur garment. Even the guy with the trophy wolf <laughs> head on his hat, yeah. <laughs> fifteen hundred dollar hat. I told him that looks great. <laughs> uh, he thought it was pretty cool. Huh? Yeah, um, he loved it. That was someone you met at the doctor's office yeah i met him in fairbanks he wanted to show me he showed me a picture of the hat he was buying it's 1500 bucks but it's more like a rug mount on his head <laughs> it's like that my, it's got teeth and everything. hat with the face, well, or the wolf hat with the face oh it's got the full full face in there yeah, yeah. and then it you looked, had a teacher school teacher that was buying some lynx pelts yeah he's having mittens and uh hat made yeah so it's it's something that i don't know if i, I was telling jim there's there's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. He's a kind of a thinker, I guess, professional thinker. And what he does for a living is is observes and notices things and then reports on them and tries to make sense of it all. He had a book that I've been listening to the audio of. It's called The Tipping Point. 
he's talking about all these different things like it's not only uh fashion trends but one of the things that key i keyed in on because it's related to the fur market is fashion trends he talks about uh different like like sneakers and those ugg boots those like australian fur boots that came into style about 15 years ago and everybody went crazy over uh, uh things like beanie babies you know stuff that uh it just seems to come out of nowhere and it's not advertising that that starts that and and it's like this cult fashion movement that just explodes and he looked into the reasons that those type of things get going and i'm trying to think like in terms of how can we how can we use that in the fur market you know, how can how can we uh cause it start a little bit of a, a movement for towards more people embracing fur as natural sustainable renewable and something that you can actually wear and is a really awesome thing to wear it's warm and it's durable and it looks pretty cool so i don't know he he kind of talked about the you know key influencers in communities that you know there's certain people that when when they do something some somebody looks at that and and sees it and and all of a sudden they want to do that and they they sort of copy copy what this person is doing and, and there's a few of those people and, and it starts to kind of create a little bit of local buzz and then all of a sudden it spreads like a spreads kind of like a virus and so um something for you guys to think about out there if you're trying to to promote fur and share it with your friends and and all that uh, if you got any ideas maybe that'll help you help you get going because i don't have the answer i don't think if anybody has the answer i don't think we've uh, <laughs> figured out who does quite yet um let's see i wanted to touch on the alaska wolf trapping manual because you, you brought that here the other day and i i was reading it and i i still can't seem to get through it the thing how many, is how, how many pages is it let's see this is your favorite trapping book right it is yeah and when did you pick it up oh three four years ago maybe five i don't know this is 124 pages and it is so packed with information it's unbelievable um I don't know for me especially having zero background in wolf trapping it, it's kind of like information overload uh it's it's a book that was it was put out it was in the 80s or 90s um, i don't think it's that old it says the basic idea was in the early 90s but it was in in 2004 the project it says the project fell dormant when joe dart retired from ATA, and then in 2004, John May Jack, is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, proposed the manual be resurrected. He organized the, most of the text and prepared the drawings, which appear in the manual. Pete Buist served as editor. And so they put this together. It's cooperation between Alaska Trappers Association and Alaska Department of Fish and Game. And it is pulls together information from all these different wolf trappers in Alaska. Uh, yeah, I would highly, highly recommend this, uh, especially if you're in Alaska or plan to trap in Alaska. And even if you're not, like, especially you guys out in Montana and Idaho, you know, you're, you're doing... Or Canada. Or Canada, yeah, absolutely. Well, they can't use some, some of that stuff. Uh, yeah, we, I don't know about Canada. I, I, you're not going to eat a lot of the foothold stuff. They might learn something, use. but... 
and I don't know what their snare reg regulations are, but um, it, it's a really good, it's a really good resource. And I haven't gotten to it yet, but toward the end, there's actually something on Wolverine trapping as well. There's a few. And there's some articles in the back that trappers wrote. Yes, individual trappers. Some of it. I think there. I think there's a video too of it. Is there really? I think there is. I'm pretty sure. I don't. I don't think it's as extensive as this, but. Yeah, a lot of this is. Uh, it's like in, maybe interesting stories from different trappers in the back. Tells um, about how to handle wolf fur and wolverine when you're stretching them, stuff, yeah. fleshing them. Oh, look at that! There's a companion DVD in the back here. It tells you. So, um, it's twenty. At the time that this was printed, it was twenty-five dollars for the book, and twenty-five dollars for the DVD. But they're offering a set for forty dollars. And I'm sure if you just go on Alaska Trappers Association website, you'll be able to find this and see what the updated price is and and how to get it. But I'll probably, I'll probably end up ordering a copy. I got more books yeah, you, than I have. You wore mine out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oh man, um, so let's see. I want to talk about the last couple of days. So three days ago, there's not much to talk about because I got up and it was 45, 50 below, and we we're kind of in between. We didn't quite, we didn't really need to check uh, any lines necessarily, uh, and it was, you know, it's a lot getting going in that cold weather and getting a snow machine running and everything. And so it was just kind of like, okay. We better just pull back and and uh, sit this one out. So it was a beautiful sunny day, but it was super super cold. We'd get up to maybe thirty five below during the day, or yeah, 30. sounds about right. Yep, mid thirties. So we were preheating the snow machine when it was fifty below. Yeah. It takes about an hour or more. Yeah. Don't want to catch it on fire when you're preheating it. So yeah, let, let's uh, talk about the preheating system. The uh, best way is to pull it in a garage, <laughs> if you got one. Which we didn't have. <laughs> but, uh, so... And, and then if you have... The other best way is if is to put blankets over it and put an electric heater on it if you have electricity. Yeah, and a good heater. Which we don't have. I have a generator, but not a heater. I got to get a good heater. So we used a one-burner Coleman <clears throat> with... Uh, Elbow on the length of stovepipe. Make kind of made a little tent over the over the snow machine. And it, we've done it three times now. Yeah, and it's worked really well. Today it was a little warmer, so we didn't have to heat it so long. Yeah, it was it was up to like thirty. It was almost well thirty eight below. A lot of a lot of snow machines will start when it's cold, but it's just not good for them. Whereas your snow machine will wear out fast if you keep starting it when it's really cold. This is the difference between the young and the old trapper. Because if I was running the show, I'd be jumping on that thing and cranking the, <laughs> the battery and getting firing off in the distance. And, of course, I'd probably be broke down on well, the trail. I told you, the fir <laughs> first snow machine I had in the in early 70s, I wore out starting it when it was cold. You could grab the, the crank was loose in there after the first winter. Just starting it when it was 50 below. Yeah. And those are things that you uh, you learn over time. <laughs> yeah, the older guys told me you need to preheat. Yeah. So 
I'm trying. That's that's probably my biggest challenge is trying to be patient, be patient and learn. Um, and I'll get into that in a minute. But the the preheating, it was probably about what forty five minutes or so. Yeah, before maybe. we started. Yeah, we just kept pulling on it once in a while until it was loosened up, and then uh, we were trying to get the belt heated up. And that was interesting. It might have been over an hour when it was 50 below or 45 yeah. below. And the thing that you had mentioned about when you're just pulling it really slow, it's sucking in warmer air. Yeah, I never thought of that till a few years ago. It's probably sucking warm air into the cylinder, so. So you're kind of helping to speed up the warming process. Yeah. So yeah, it worked pretty well. And once it, you know, once it got going, and and the other thing that Jim does that I've never thought to do. Of course, I've never run snow machines in uh, 40, 50 below. But he's got a jack, and uh, jacks up the track off the ground and spins the track in the morning uh, to get things. I, I do that up till about 10 above or 20 above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've never done that before. I've I mean. It, Sometimes if we're, if we're just starting the machine at the beginning of the season, um, I'll put it up on a, I'll put a high lift jack on the back and get it up and spin the track. But during the year during the winter, I never do that. But um, saves your belt, and then and the engine gets warmed up while you're doing it, revving right. it up. And yeah, yeah, because you can rev it up. Of course, we got a two stroke here, not a four stroke. But I would probably do the same thing with a four stroke. Yeah, the tough thing the, is the uh, e elands you could just tip them on their side really easy and spin the track, but I don't have any. I haven't had an eland for years. <laughs> yeah, they're getting, getting a little harder to find, huh? Yeah, I don't miss them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tundra, the tundra is not bad for this type of uh, this type of country. It it really it really sneaks through those trails nicely. I know that. So, um, as far as uh, personally, the cold weather, it, uh, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I came into it a little cautious. And I'll probably, in, maybe in another episode, I'll talk about um, about the different you know, clothing and stuff that I brought and stuff that, that Jim had for me to use. But I was, I was all, a little bit nervous that, okay, I, you know, I know I get to bring a bunch of clothing and everything and Obviously, everybody else that's out here can handle it, so I should be able to handle it too. But there's always a little bit in, in the back of my mind is like, you know, there's a little bit of nervousness there, just maybe maybe trying to keep myself on my toes, uh, not to get too confident about it. So I was a little nervous when, you know, uh, you get up and you look out, look at the thermometer, and it's 45, 48 below. Am I going to be able to handle this? And so, of course, you get kind of psyched up for it and uh, bundle up, put everything, every single piece of clothing you have on. And I actually wasn't that bad. And I, I did have to have quite a bit of uh, hand warmers and toe warmers going. but That uh, Tundra has pretty good hot grips, too. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you, there's a huge difference between riding down the river and riding on the trail. If you're on the trail, you're moving around a lot, trying to keep the snowmobile uh, in line, and and you're so you're balancing, you're moving. The river, you're kind of just sitting there, like absorbing the cold as you go along. Big chill factor too. Yeah, and the wind. Yeah. I mean, just from driving. You're going faster. So, 
Um, I did one uh, word of advice is uh, the the boots make when you when you get your boots uh, getting ready to go get those boots up high where it's warm. <laughs> so uh, I always, I always joked with Jim a little bit about the the book we read. Uh, born on snowshoes, Evelyn Berglund Shore, and when her and her husband Bill Grinnell were trapping up, kind of in this general area, back in the '30s, it would have been. Uh, I think it was '40s. '40s, and they talked about you know they they didn't have a fire, and then they'd crawl into bed and they'd let the fire go out in the stove, and the water pot on the top of the stove would would be frozen, the the water would be frozen in the pot when they woke up in the morning. I thought, that's got to be just absolutely brutal. How can a human being even survive? That must have been a cold cabin. <laughs> but uh, the last three mornings, my Nalgene bottle that's sitting beside the cot on the floor has been frozen. Uh, has, uh, it, when it's full, it's had a, a caking of ice around it, and I, get, I can't, can't get any water out of it. And This morning, it was about half full, and it was frozen just about to a solid block. So <laughs> it has been a little bit cold. Yesterday morning, my contact lenses that were on the table were in blocks of ice. But the funny thing is, I, I wasn't that cold. You know, like I got these two sleeping bags and you get them all, get the thing tucked around your face and everything. The only thing that's cold a little bit is like your nose and your mouth. And you just tuck your head under that and get bundled up and well, we've been keeping the fire going too so <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean i can't i can't imagine if we let the fire go out at 50 below that'd be pretty brutal but but it's been it, it's all kind of like it all is manageable just like the food you know i brought a bunch of food what are we gonna do what are we do we had plenty of food we ate we ate plenty right yeah i mean i've i've got kind of some diet restrictions i'm dealing with right now um where i can't eat any starch and i thought i'm gonna go to alaska and not be able to eat starch and be out in the woods we're not gonna have enough food yeah i was just gonna give you beans and link meat until you told me you're on diet restriction (laughs) (laughs) and uh it actually and i thought well you know what i'll just i'll i'll do what i can and then as when i run out of the other food then i'll just start eating beans and rice and and uh Roman noodles and that stuff, and I'll deal with the health consequences. And I have not had uh, had to eat a single bit of starch. So some things you worry, you maybe. What did we talk about the other day? It it's okay to worry a little bit, but most things wait till they you can wait till they become a problem to worry too much about them. Yeah, we don't want to have a panic attack. <laughs> no panic attacks are not good for the trap line. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because it's something that I've noticed, uh, is how how you deal with or don't deal with the challenges of operating out of a trapline cabin that's 40 miles away from, from your nearest home. The challenge meaning supplies? Yeah. I mean, everything yeah. in terms of, uh, you kind of have, you come out here for a week or two at a time and or maybe more, and you kind of have to have everything you need. Some stuff I bring up, but with the boat in the summer, and leave it. And then I'm always bringing more groceries, but uh, 
and it seems like uh, gas and oil for the snow machine. Usually by the end of the year, I'm way ahead. So I, last year, I bought 20 gallons back because I didn't want to leave it up here. But I don't know. I guess I've been doing it so long, it's kind of stuck in my head. Sometimes I forget stuff. I'm kind of, yeah, I kind of look through stuff as like, how do you know, like, okay, you've got wrenches and tools and funnel for the gas and, all, you know, all this different stuff. It's like, so you've got... You got your place in Fort Yukon, and then you got a place in Fairbanks. You got this cabin, and I get it mixed up sometimes. I can't <laughs> yeah. remember what. Now, where is that? Is it the cabin or Fairbanks? Or one yeah. time I left last year, the year before, I left Fort Yukon and got about ten miles out and realized I forgot my sleeping bag, so I yeah. went back. That's kind of important. But I really didn't have. To, I had an old one here, but I thought, no, nah, I'll go back and get it because I, I'm, I always want to have it in case I break down. But. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I just try to keep stocked up. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't Take, know. I, it actually I, takes you years to get that stuff up here, though. Some of it, I mean, a little at a time. Well, that's the thing. I think in terms of, okay, what if I wanted to just drop everything and do this, what you're doing right now? And you couldn't bring all this stuff up at once. You, there's just so there's so many things you have to accumulate. When you think of it, you could put it all in a. <laughs> doesn't take up a lot of room, but. Yeah. It costs a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm always looking for stuff that. That I might use or need or. I like this barrel stove. The one I found in the dump. <laughs> <laughs> So the yeah, only, I, had to, I had to do some patching on it, but it's good. It's a heavy duty. It's one of the old heavy duty barrels. Yeah, and it keeps this place warm. Um, you could, it's and, huge. And it's, got a like a, it's a fifty-five gallon. Steel yeah, thing. yeah, but I don't, that's a real old-fashioned heavy duty drum. I don't think they've made those since the early '60s or late '50s. It's thick. And um, I had to kind of make a. It's <laughs> one of the legs was knocked off when I got it, so I had to come up with something to support the back. But it's like a grill, like a base. Of I a think grill. it's a hibachi grill turned upside down. <laughs> <laughs> it's fireproof, so. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I have I have another set of legs. Guy gave me the whole kit, and I found other old stoves that I've just taken apart. That I got all the door and everything. A little bit of sheet metal with some rivets out back. Oh, to yeah. patch it up. Yeah, it was rusted a little in the back. But, but so not bad. These are pretty standard, huh? I mean, I haven't seen they too were. many of them in Maine, but they they sell a kit with a door and legs and yeah. This is yeah. This 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 is a kit. You just take a drum. But and you you don't see them much in town anymore. Everybody has a higher tech wood stoves, but unless it's somebody's workshop or something. Yeah, I think this was a a masterpiece in the, how the the person. So they so the barrel is round and it's sitting on the side kind of on the legs, but the top of it is flat and someone had to cut that out and weld on flat piece of steel a plate on there to have a cooktop. And it just looks like it would be a precision job. Yeah, they did a good job and it's heavy. Good welding and they put a heavy piece of iron on top, that flat top. And that's what we've done most of our cooking on. Okay, so um, highs and lows. 
Oh, no. First, I want to talk about the last couple of days. So, big goal, catch a Wolverine. You've picked up a Wolverine on the way to town, but I don't really feel like that. I caught it. I guess you could say we got Wolverine, but um, it, I was hoping I would catch one on, on the lines out here. And I guess technically you could say I caught Wolverine twice. <laughs> but by the time I got there, he was out of the trap. Um, it, yesterday was quite a quite a check. And so uh, we've got kind of kind of got three lines going we get the traps on the way between here and town but then we've got i'm going to call them by code names so no one can come here and take over and try to sneak in on this trap line yeah <laughs> we get the big slough um, which is a, a really large backwater to the main river um, where we, we set traps on quite a extensive area we've got uh i call this high slough High slough is, uh, or a swale, kind of. It's this long, narrow, grassy backwater sort of lake slough in, uh, on the other side of the river. And then we've got Haley Creek. And that goes up uh, from the cabin kind of in, in a different, different direction. So we've kind of got these three lines, and we set them up uh, the first you had the big slew already set up and the others we kind of set up uh, after a couple of days after I got here and it was all trails that you had cut previously and you'd had old lines on and we just kind of opened them back up and, and made sets where we saw a sign so yesterday I checked the big slew and the big slew uh, you've been making catches there pretty steady this winter um, there seems to be quite a few link around there Yep, and but, it, but not a lot of rabbits. Not a lot of rabbits, and it hasn't. It didn't disappoint. There was every time I've gone, there's been a few extra sets of tracks. Now, one thing I will say about trapping here uh, in this area in the interior is you get all these little fresh snows, but you don't get. It's so dry that you don't get any big snow accumulation to speak of, and it's been. I'm still seeing tracks that were not fresh when we got here. Like, what was that? Two and a half, two, two and a half weeks ago. I'm seeing, I, I still make out these tracks that were there when I got here that were mm -hmm. already old when, when I got here. So it's like, it's hard to determine when, in like the rabbits, for instance, you go through a bunch of these trails and there's rabbit tracks everywhere. Well, I set a bunch of rabbit snares, I didn't get a single rabbit. They, the tracks stick around for so long that one rabbit can make it look like there's 50 of them around. So the, the snow doesn't cover cover the stuff up um, a lot. It'll, it'll just kind of sprinkle a little bit and maybe maybe you'll be able to tell if, if there's a fresh track or not. But even the last three, four days, we haven't gotten any Oh, it's any been dust. cold. And so cold, I've got, clear and cold. Well, it snowed maybe four inches the first week and it hadn't snowed since it got cold. I've got, uh, there's tracks that I've, the la last time I checked this one several days, like four days ago, there's still tracks that show up that are just perfectly fresh in the snow. So that it's so cold that even if you got that bright sun shining on the snow, it's not melting any of it at all. No, I'll do that in, maybe in May or April. <laughs> so, so, 
So the big slough, uh, this was kind of exciting. I get in there and I see, I'm seeing these tracks. I'm seeing the, la the tracks from the last time and everything, but then all of a sudden I see some, some fresh tracks, fresh link tracks that are in my snow, snow sled tracks. So I know those are fresh. And then <coughs> the wolves, the wolves that we'd seen tracks from and we'd set snares on um, on the trails they showed up again they they hadn't they've been gone for like a week and a half and they just showed back up yeah and they were following my track and they're they're i i still haven't figured out how to how to determine how many wolves are in a pack but there was a lot of tracks and they followed my trail for you know at least a mile or two maybe a little more than two miles and they there was a minimum of uh, eight or eight or ten sets of wolf droppings it's places and places where they'd stop and pee um, they'd follow the snow sled track they'd veer off to something and then they come back and they did that um, they're looking for a moose looking for something yeah so so I'm following that I'm like okay this is good I'm headed toward our snares our wolf snares and I'm also headed toward all our other traps uh, and the wolves are with me so um we got something going on there. Then I get into the, uh, I see some fresh link tracks. And then I see the Wolverine tracks that I'd seen uh, the other day. And I saw, I was pretty sure there was another set of Wolverine tracks, but I couldn't quite tell which was which. But anyway, I'm getting closer and closer. I check a few sets, nothing there. And I get to the sets where I had some pretty hot activity with Wolverine. I had Wolverine steal a bait. The other day, I had uh, set off that 330 in the in the box, and didn't get caught. I we were talking about. It. I think it, I think he probably went behind the box and moved it around a little bit, and set off the trap. And yeah, seems like it. So I I rebaited where he stole the bait, and I reset that stuff. So I come in. Um, actually, I come in before that. There was a set before that that I that I had Wolverine tracks going to. And I get in on that and I look over and there's a, a dead link in the trail snare. I'm like, yes, awesome. And this was only like the third or fourth set that I checked, so I was pretty excited. Um, got a link. I walked over to it and uh, the top half of it was eaten. Just the whole. By the Wolverine. The whole side, top side was eaten. And I didn't see any wolf tracks, and I saw the wolverine tracks coming around the back side of the set. I said, I said some choice words, and all of a sudden I looked up above the snare where the link was dead in and had been eaten. We had had a number four double long spring trap. Um, it was a uh, Bridger, and we'd had a set, and there was no bait on it. It was just set with uh, link lure. Uh huh. And it was set off. And I looked over and there's Wolverine tracks on it. And the thing was set off and there was long black Wolverine guard hair <laughs> in the jaws of the trap. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. A lynx got caught. Wolverine came, ate the lynx, stepped in the trap, I think pulled out of the trap. I think he sat on it. And then that's when you, when he got back, you explained that to me. And it makes well, I don't know, sense. but the long guard hairs are towards the back of their legs. Yeah, or their back legs. So I don't know. And so now I'm wondering if, uh, and especially since that set wasn't baited, that you know he, it's not likely that he would have gone in 
necessarily to to really investigate the lure so much as he might the the trap was within like 10 feet of the snare yeah and so i'm guessing he came in saw that link start eating him and then went up and kind of bedded down maybe where that trap was and either set on it or maybe he got curious well if the lure was high enough he might have i i they're attracted to lure so he might have gone over there to investigate and somehow it got him on the lower part instead of his foot so regardless pretty poor luck there so so he pulled out of that trap and i was kind of bummed out especially since we not only did i not catch him but i lost the link so reset that stuff and moved on and and i believe it's the i believe it was the next set it was either the next set or two sets down where i'd had the 330 and i'd had had the wolverine come in before and so i get over to that set and this is where it really i really fell apart (laughs) (laughs) that same wolverine had come in where i had rebaited that that set where he'd stole the bait before He'd not touched the 330 set, which was well, 10, 15 feet away. He went into the foothold set that I had rebated with some fish, and he got caught in the trap, and everything was just tore up all around that catch circle. And he got wrapped around some willows, and the trap was sitting there on the edge, kind of setting up in the air on a willow, and he had pulled out of the trap. Um, it looked like he'd been there for a while, who knows how long, but, um, I had that Wolverine and had him good. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't by the, by the, the guard hairs, <laughs> had him good and, uh, and he pulled out. So that was, that was as close as I personally gotten to catching a Wolverine. And of course I went down and checked the rest of the sets and, and I never, never did see his tracks again. Um, I did. I did catch a link, a live link, in a foothold trap at the second to last set. So that was good. Um, I actually had something to bring home that we could skin and and get paid for, pay for some gas money to to run those lines. Um, I went by the wolf place. The wolves did go in where we set our snares, but they didn't really. I think maybe just one or two wolves went in on those trails, and one walked around one of my snares. Um, and nothing else seemed to uh, seemed to go on the trails that we had snares on. So there was that was an active day <laughs> of checking traps. There was a lot going on there in the big slough, um, and we got out of it with with just a little bit of fur. I'm hoping when you go back, you're gonna have uh, a chance to maybe pick up that wolverine. Maybe a wolf. They don't seem those wolverines don't seem to smarten up, huh? They some of them do, but uh, I think it depends on how hungry they are. Some of them just keep blundering into stuff. I hope this guy blunders in. So that was that, and then today was kind of the last chance to check before leaving. Um, for me, uh, of course, again, Jim's gonna be able to re- to check these when I'm gone, when all the fur's gonna be moving around, <laughs> but. Um, I, I ran the two lines, I ran the, the high slough, and the high slough line was, or there's actually, a na- or it has a real name that's not on any maps, and it's uh, the old, the, the natives have kind of call it, call it this name that they, that nobody seems to know 
where it came from, right? I, I don't know what it means. But it's this long, narrow slough, and it, it's pretty cool because you can go a long distance on it without having to cut out trail. Uh, and when we set it up, there was tons and tons of link tracks on Looked it. Looked like the best spot we set out. It did. It yeah. did. And I've been checking it here for a week and a half and haven't had a single fresh link track on it. Haven't caught anything. No traps set off, no visits, nothing. It's been completely dead. <laughs> That's another thing that I've learned. I mean, I think on the fir first thing we recorded here, I talked about how, oh man, there's a lot of fur here. There's a lot of fur. Well, it, it, it looked like there was a lot of fur in, in the whole general area, the whole Porcupine River area. But, but I'm looking at, I need to train myself and my perspective because I'm looking at, I could be looking at a month worth of sign. And if that was in Maine where, okay, we've gotten maybe three, four inches of snow, uh, if that, and in the last couple of weeks. And since I've been gone in Maine, my wife says that we've gotten between uh, uh, about 26 inches of snow, 26 to 30 inches of snow since I've been gone. And so <laughs> in Maine, um, if we get snow so frequently that co completely covers up sets. And so if we see this much sign, it's usually like you're looking at like a week's worth of sign. It's like, wow, there's a lot of tracks there. So I'm coming in here with that perspective. I'm seeing all these tracks. Well, it appears that these animals can move through an area and then just completely be gone. And especially when there's not very many rabbits around there. But in the odd thing about this is there's actually quite a few rabbits in that area. <laughs> well, there it's it's there's more for but we're not at the big peak of the rabbit cycle, so Yeah. Yeah, and I again, There's still I, rabbits, but look at your you can't catch any of your snares. That's right. I'm, They're I'm just seeing not, I'm seeing rabbits there but, but i think there was pretty good rabbit sign over there and it was the, snowing it's so. the best yeah it's the best yeah. rabbit sign i've seen so I far i think they'd hang around there and hunt um, but it still doesn't you know it doesn't mean that maybe there's more rabbits because the link i haven't been bothering them i don't know yeah <laughs> but anyway that's uh that was that was that line just it just went dead and then the haley creek line um that that one that one was a lot of fun to set up. It was kind of, you go through a bunch of, you go through several different sloughs and lakes and and then a bunch of timber that's that's really neat. I did see a wolverine track, fresh set of wolverine tracks on that the other day. And so I added a set uh, on the ground. I added a, a number four double long spring and a little cubby that I made in one of those meadows. Um, of course, it did not come back and I had uh, toward the end uh, on the creek we had a, uh, a 330 that I'd set in this old beaver it was like a hole in the bank that you'd said there'd been an old beaver lodge there mm -hmm. um, and nothing nothing ever visited that um, not yet not yet that's right that's, that's the beauty of trapping here is you have time you have such a long season um, you've got time to wait for them to come back well I don't have time but you do <laughs> So, uh, and this is also the area where we saw those Martin tracks. Um, we have three Martin sets out. Uh, you made two and I, I added one. And we, uh, that Martin has not gotten caught yet either. So, 
So there are a few extra, few fresh link tracks in there from the past few days. So there's a, there's a chance at, at making catches there too, but nothing today. So that was kind of a wrap up. We do have some traps to check on the way back home. So there could be, there could be a little something there. Something to look forward to for the 40 mile snow sled ride. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the only other thing I wanted to touch on was kind of some highs and lows. Um, let me start, we start, you start with good or bad. What's that? Highs and lows of the trip. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's start with the highs. So we didn't kill each other and we seemed to get along pretty good. Yeah. No problem there. <laughs> Funny when, when I first met your wife and you and me were, were talking having coffee and stuff and, and she said something and I said, yeah, I said, I said, I'm kind of a talker. I, 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 <laughs> you know, I, I can talk a little too much sometimes and she kind of giggled and I thought, huh, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she figured that I met my match knowing you. Yeah, we're both talkers. Especially about trapping. <laughs> I think we talked each other's ears off uh, quite a few times, um, but it was good. Um, well, the, the temperature was good when we got here. That was definitely for, for a setting high. out. It was good weather. Yep, that was definitely high. Um, checking everything. The it was war yeah it was it was warm around zero or so. Yeah, and we even had some maybe what ten or fifteen above. Could have been, yeah. Or maybe it wasn't that high. Maybe it was five or ten above. I remember coming back really thirsty, <laughs> sweating <laughs> a lot, but yeah. The uh, the scenery to me was was a pleasant surprise. It just the area is beautiful. There's so much to look at. There's such variety in things and in in trees and habitat. The other thing that I that kind of jumped out at me was how clear everything is. It's like the air is so clear that everything's like crisp. Especially yeah. when it's cold out. Yeah, that's <laughs> like the, the past few days for sure. And when the, when it's like that is when it's 40, 50 below and, and the sun comes out. And I was actually seeing mirages on the river. You ever oh, seen, yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I saw them on the way last week when I was driving up. And, but just like looking at the sun shining on the trees, I, I took a bunch of pictures of just like the trees with the sun shining on them, just of nothing really. But it just, <laughs> I was like, this is just so crisp and clear. And then get out at night, go take a leak out at night and look up at the sky and the stars. Are, you know, we live in an area where I live that we don't have a lot of light pollution. So we could see the stars really good on yeah. a clear night. But we have so many clouds. Yeah, that a lot of times you just don't get good view, but this was like the stars are just right there on top of you. Everything. I guess the low is you didn't get to see the aurora. We haven't seen it. That is the low. Yeah. You better go look at a few. In a, Northern lights, aurora borealis. All the Japanese come to uh, come come to experience, and I did not get to see it. So um, when you when you wait. look at the aurora in Maine, do you see it there? Uh, when I was a kid. You do get it occasionally. You have to look uh, north to see it. Yeah, you do. Have see to here, you just look straight up. Really? Pretty much. And it's like way off in the horizon. It, it can be on the horizon, but uh, and it, if it's really bright, it looks like it's just above the treetops. Really? Yeah. Yeah. When, when we, the I'm, few times I've seen it was when I was younger, and I didn't really know what I, my like 
you know, people just tell you, hey, yeah, the Northern Lights are out tonight, and you look, and it's like, oh, yeah, but it's way off. Yeah. You're not, like, in it. Yeah, so. that's kind of, the, when I grew up in Anchorage, we, it seemed like we always had to look north to see it. Yeah. But that that was, yeah, that, that's that's just one of those things. Um, another... Still got a couple nights. Yeah. Oh, one more high. The the trapping conditions. I mean, in general, this this if you can handle the cold... I was thinking about this today. Like, these traps that stay working longer than any other place I've ever trapped. Because like, the snow's dry. Yeah. Because yeah. And the snow's dry and it's not piling on top of it. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't snow a lot. And so, like, we get these traps that have been here since before I got here and I haven't had to do anything. You pop them out a little bit once in a while to yeah. make sure they're not frozen down too bad, but... I mean, and, you know, when I'm coyote trapping in Maine, it's like every other day you're remaking sets. And uh, it, this is really, I mean, you can string out a lot of traps and and be pretty efficient because you don't have to work too hard to keep them, keep them running. Sometimes you get a snow dump, then you got to dig them out. And sometimes the snow is warm. I mean, when it gets like 20 above, then, yeah. they, might, then they might freeze down. So yeah, after it cools off, but. Okay. That's usually in November or so. I might do that. The the negatives, the cold spell. That was that was kind of a positive because I get to experience it, but it kind of slows everything down. Um, it's frustrating because you can't, you don't have any control over the weather. You got to dress super warm. You got to keep moving, um, and the critters aren't moving as much. So, the slow trapping. Um, that's kind of a, uh, a, a little bit of a bummer. Now, the one big negative, and you're, you're going to, I'm going to, you want to guess what this one is? <laughs> Boy, I don't know. This is... Fur prices? <laughs> no, no. This is all about me being a young, ambitious guy running, running around and you being more experienced. An old, old over the hill guy. I wanted more traps to run and more lines to run. Just, I'm like, I want to get, I just want to go every single day and go hard. Um, and you're, you're kind of more, well, not like, you do I don't much. need all these lines, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've well, got more to trap than I need. Yeah, I could have set out a lot more if I got here earlier in the season. Yeah, but I'm just like, so, so for a while I was like, man, I, I want to help you cut trail. Let's cut trail. Let's go cut this out. Let's go cut that out. And you're like. Well, I may not even trap that in the next few years, so why do I want to cut it out? <laughs> I was getting tired. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, it got to the point where, like a week ago, we just cut it out and hardly check it before we pick it up. Yeah, that's the or thing. Or you'd be gone. Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do for the in the next week? And you're thinking the whole season and the next few years and the link numbers are going to be down probably yeah. so you're probably not going to put as much effort in anyway so yeah it's so for me that was it, it was a low but it was also a lesson in patience <laughs> <laughs> that day that 50 below day was a lesson in patience but it's all about i think it's all about your perspective and you just kind of just keep thinking okay look there's certain things that are you're not going to control the weather 
and you're not going to go out and cut 50 miles of trap line in three days <laughs> so just chill out enjoy yourself and go with it and so that was that was good it was a little bit of i was a little bit like oh, i want to do this but at the end i was like you know what this was this was this worked out great yeah, I wish I could have had more lines set out before you even got here, but it just didn't work out that way. Well, and I mean... I came up in December and it was cold for a week. Right before Christmas. Almost didn't make it back to Fairbanks for Christmas. And you, and the other thing is you, you're kind of... You're, you're trapping all the way up. <laughs> yeah, even get yeah I don't have a lot of sets like I do... I did when I was younger, there was a lot of link. I, I probably had twice or many of them more. So we've got, tomorrow we're heading back into town. Um, try to get a few, maybe get a few souvenirs or something for the family. See if we can get some fur tagged. Um, anything else about the trip or any other topics? No, I think we're pretty good. Looking forward to March. What do you got going going on when I'm I'm gonna be back at work? What are you gonna be doing up here? Um, I gotta come back and pick up traps. I'll probably pick up uh, the link. I gotta pick up the Martin traps the end of February, before the end of February, and then link. I'll probably pick them up the first week of March. I don't know. I got that woodcut, and I got to do in town, so <laughs> I got to keep that in mind. Do my taxes, but uh, yeah, I plan on coming back a few more times. But in March, the days are longer and weather's warmer, so traveling up here isn't that big a deal. Yeah, fighting cold weather. Sometimes we have a snowstorm, but <clears throat> yeah, maybe do some work on the cabin. Just hopefully, the, hopefully when I come back, I'll have all them link that we've been missing. I'll catch them. I hope so. <laughs> I can skin them and stretch them. A few Wolverine. Well, it, it, it seems to go in waves, you know. So we've been on kind of a slow wave here the last week. So maybe next week will be things will pick back up. But they're still around. I mean, obviously they're not not as many around as there were when you started the season. but Yeah, there never were a lot. Actually, the best I did coming up here was going back to town one time after I'd been here after, through that cold spell. Yeah. But I didn't have much set out here either, so. I had the big slough set out, but I don't think I checked it right away. It got cold, so I just stayed here and worked on the cabin. Yeah. Very good. All right, we'll wrap it up. And the next time that... I make any recording, I'll be in a jet plane flying. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. I am. I am not looking forward to the flight back. But it'll be good. It'll be good to get back uh, back into things. And and for me, the next month, I think I'll be back into the under ice beaver trapping in northern Maine. I I'm gonna have a hard time. Coming back from Alaska, doing any trapping in Maine at all. <laughs> the first week, I th I think I told Jim I was like, I don't know if I want to trap in Maine anymore. <laughs> it's just so good here. 
Um, but the beaver trapping in Maine is really good, and uh, and and I'll be able to do that kind of a little relaxed pace, uh, go on the weekends and on my days off, and and uh, set out when the weather's nice and ride around, have the kids with me. So it'll be a lot of fun um, as we we get into spring, and then who knows, maybe a little bit of open water beaver trapping in the spring, uh, catch a few there and then then just move on so yeah it was a good experience and and uh i'm excited i'm excited about it and and uh it was as good as i expected maybe a little bit more so um i won't say everybody come out to alaska and and trap because every situation is is different and unique um and hard to know necessarily what you're going to expect but for me it was a very positive experience and i'm going to do it again so yeah